This is the Best of the Adam Gold Show podcast, brought to you by Coach Pete at Capital Financial Advisory Group. Visit us at CapitalFinancialUSA.com. We are, how would, a week and a half, two weeks away from the start of NFL training camps. Less than two weeks. I believe the 21st or 22nd, the Panthers report as a full squad. Rookies go in earlier. I know the Jets start as a full squad because they're playing in the Hall of Fame game. Jets start a little bit earlier. And there is a, there's a lot of things to think about in terms of the NFL. The Panthers went out. They have a new quarterback who's supposed to help modernize their offense. And this is where I want to start. Um, one of my, well, I think one of the coolest things to look at is the Bill Walsh coaching tree. And the Bill Walsh coaching tree, and Walsh is the the father of the West Coast offense, and the Bill Walsh coaching tree has so many branches, actually has a forest, and there are different trees in that forest. And if you look at Mike Holmgren, who is part of the Bill Walsh coaching tree, he at one point had on his coaching staff like six future NFL head coaches, including Andy Reid, who is probably the second best head coach in the NFL right now uh, to historically, anyway, he might, he's probably the best coach in the NFL right now, to Bill Belichick. But it was also John Gruden and former and future NFL head coaches Mike Sherman and Marty Morningweg. We have, I guess in a way, a little bit of a sapling off that tree and a real younger group of coaches right now kind of spearheaded by Kyle Shanahan. And Jordan Rodriguez, our old friend who covered the Panthers for the Observer in Charlotte and is now covering the Rams and the sport for the Athletic, is doing just a tremendous series on the play callers on the Athletic. I listened to the episode yesterday on my drive home. It is awesome well done. You should be in the audio medium as well as writing. I appreciate your time. What gave you the, I mean, you, you, you cover Sean McVay. So that obviously is probably where this came from. Uh, and maybe it's just the, the logic that, man, what an era we're in with these brilliant young coaches. So explain to me the impetus for all of this and what, uh, what you've learned already and what we can learn going forward. Yeah, first of all, thank you for making me sound uh, smarter than I actually am. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> that's not true, second, but that's fine. <laughs> and second, um, it's a great question because I, I wanted to sort of take a, d- a deep dive into a series of tree rings on, you know, football's historical timeline. And, and as you outlined just now, the timeline is so expansive, right? There's so many great coaches who have fostered these environments that have developed other great coaches and then and then they all borrow ideas from each other and, mm-hmm. and the, the ultimate coaching tree is is so messy in terms of all of its branches and how they intersect but these young coaches specifically are very interesting because they are uh, not only of a certain generation that is 
um, showing you their growth and their failures and, and how they're shaping offense in the NFL and, and honestly how they're shaping defense in the NFL as well. They're showing you in real time how they're doing it. And second of all, they all started out together in mm-hmm. the same rooms with the same lowly jobs. And, and most of them worked for Kyle Shanahan, who trained them with all of his knowledge that he had gotten from, from Mike Shanahan and then also from, from being in Tampa Bay with that ma- massive playbook. And for me, watching how Sean McVay over the last several years – how he uh, tries to find ideas. It's almost like a conflict-seeking space where he's trying to look for people who present him with problems or um, answers or foils to his own offense so that he can troubleshoot against them and, and, you know, find ways to then evolve his own system forward. And so a lot of times, I first saw this when he hired Brandon Staley out of the Vic Fangio defense Mm -hmm. in um, 2020. And, I started wondering, are all these guys like this, (laughs) first of all, considering they all came from the same spaces? And then you start peeling back the layers. So the reporting of the series over the last year has almost fast forwarding, looking forward, while also keeping a a firm plant foot in, in the past, looking at how these guys all became this way. And you can see these moments where they're all fighting over getting uh, calls on Kyle Shanahan's play sheet or fighting with each other in these offices. And that functional conflict that brings forth these ideas, sort of an underlying thread of the whole series is how do you, how did these people all go out and seek that functional conflict? Because they know they have direct experience with it leading to evolution. And that, and that's really what the series is about at its heart. Um, is, is how these guys have all done that. And now as they sort of enter these pivotal points in their careers, um, all of them, of course, at the same time, um, it's, it's just been really interesting to, to sort of peel back the layers on how they think and how they see football and, and frankly, what their relationship to football even is. Even though we have defensive, uh, pers- personnel here you uh, Robert Sal is a head coach of the Jets um the play call is really talking about the four offensive guys right the Mike McDaniel uh in Miami uh Matt LaFleur in Green Bay Sean McVay uh with the Rams although we thought he was going to leave after winning the Super Bowl and Kyle Shanahan explain if you can and I know you're going to get into this and in later uh you know as you get deeper into the series the competitiveness of, are they just in a constant state of trying to one-up? How does that work? It's interesting because you have to think, again, you have to think about where they all started. They literally all were sharing these offices together, whether it was in Houston or Atlanta or in Ashburn, Virginia. Mm-hmm. And the entire point of their existence at that time, because football is everything to these guys, the entire point of their existence is to have an idea or think up something that makes it onto Kyle Shanahan's call sheet. So that there's inherent competition in how you do that. Because you're also trying to grow and if, and you want to succeed in the space. And you're also doing it against people who you do respect and consider friends. But at a certain point, when they all start to split off into their respective buildings, now you're trying, now you have to beat each other. You can't be friends anymore. Right. You, ha- you, you have to be competitors. And so the dynamic shifting between all of them as they sort of uh, sprint toward innovation is fascinating to me and certainly comes forth in the series because of how they talk about how to try to find what's next. And there's this underlying current of, okay, you all are doing it at the same time. And so who is first? And then who jumps off of that innovation loop first toward the next thing? trying to outrun all the other people. Because I think a lot of these guys have figured out that it's not necessarily about like Super Bowls anymore in terms of your legacy as a coach or or the coaches that they most respect. It's also about 
people who consider you as an innovator in the sport. And I think that's where they're all what they're all competing uh, with each other in, in various ways. And what a lot of pe- coaches in the sport are now competing with each other in various ways is everyone knows how hard it is to win a Super Bowl. <laughs> but can you be considered a person who has shaped the trajectory and the arc of the league? And I think that's inherently what a lot of them are are sort of seeking. Jordan Rodriguez from The Athletic. The series is called The Playmakers. It is incredibly well done. I am fascinated by it. And I'm not even one of those deep dive. I know you said at the beginning that you are obsessed uh, with, with, and you are. So let me let me ask you about the way the, let me take two of the guys uh, and just compare them. My, my impression is that Sean McVay is more about a passing attack and Kyle Shanahan is more about a running attack. Um, is, is that fair uh, or is, have I, am I just too basic in my knowledge of this? Because that could be the right answer. Well, I think they've sort of deviated from each other in that way as they've competed in the NFC West. Um, the NFC West has gotten just totally brutal in, in the way that all of these ideas and coaches, these successful young coaches, and, and then Pete Carroll, who's still holding it down in Seattle, like all of these coaches have competed and clashed against yeah. one another. And certainly Kyle and Sean, who were once candidates for the same jobs as well. So that also is a dynamic throughout the entire thing. And and they know each other so well, To It's like, okay, it, how do you expand your identity into a specific space and find edges and find various things that, that you're able to exploit um, and how do you do it so the other guy's not doing it the same way, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's sort of naturally led, I think. I, I don't think it's been necessarily intentional, but it's sort of naturally led to this divergence of scheme where Kyle Shanahan's run game is about as multiple as it gets. Yep. I mean, he basically has made his run game his quarterback in terms of all of the things that they can do. Um, you know, they're running, they're running like concepts you see in high school football combined with, you know, throwbacks and toss, you know, all these things and, and the way that they've made their receivers um, extensions of the running game and the way that they even they even have you know left tackles going in motion you know all of these things that 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 happen in the run game itself and 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 meanwhile you know in Los Angeles Sean McVay has this total finesse a quarterback who can make any throw when he's healthy and mm. this total finesse in the passing game and also receivers who contribute in the run game as well but but still that finesse in the passing game um, that comes with having a veteran quarterback and and it's really interesting to me to see how um, whether intentional or subconscious, how their paths have diverged as game planners, as play callers, and certainly schematically. Let me uh, we'll kind of close on this. The series is great. How many episodes, by the way, uh, are uh, are in the can? Five episodes. So you guys can binge, you can binge it. It's all out over at the Athletic Football Show podcast feed and, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Um, you can totally binge it, with which people have. It's been funny hearing from people, um, even across the league, who have uh, sat down and, and binge watched the entire, or binge binge listened to the entire series. Um, or you can you can space it out a little bit too. You won't miss it. it it's it- Hey, it's Adam Golden. I'm in studio with my friend, Coach Pete DeRuta with the Capital Financial Advisory Group. Is it ever too soon to seek out you and your expertise? 
really there's no too soon. It's time to get serious. So if you're 50 or over, we call it the financial red zone. And that's when really it's time for you to take control of your money and, and make sure you have a firm on your side that's a fiduciary planning firm, which means they take your side at all times. Now, we'll do this for the next 10 of you who call. This is a $1,000 value, but I'm going to waive my planning fee to make sure you get your total retirement plan and you get on the right path for retirement. Call 888-843-0013, 888-843-0013, or text ADAM to 600-700. Adam Gold is a paid spokesman. Investment advisory services offered by Capital Financial Advisory Group, a North Carolina registered investment advisor. And sit with for a while or something you can process all at once if it's, you want to. It's awesome. Uh, it's great. And I, I do a fair amount of driving. So uh, in my car, boom, uh, pop it in. By the, real quick, this is not what I was going to ask you, but... How did you get these guys to sit down with you? There's uh, there's cursing involved, but that's fine. How did you get these guys to all sit down with you? Yeah, it, it, well, it, the reporting process is a year. So persistence mm. is part of it, right? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> At a certain point, you feel bad if you say no too many times, right? So per- persistence is definitely a part of it. But also, um, I just was really transparent about what I wanted to ask them about. I, I, I wanted to talk about football and, and how football happens and how it how it's created and how people think about the game and, you know, also uh, about each other. And, and I think there is inherently such a respect for each other and, and the level that it takes to do that job as a head coach that a lot of them were very candid about that and, and pers- their personal journeys because, you know, I think part of it is people don't really see that side a lot or, or nobody really asks. And so I think they were not only really um, gracious with their time and talking about the sport and how they see the sport and their relationship to the sport, but also I was grateful for, for the, one, the, the coaches who did open up about their own personal journeys and what coaching at this level does mean and, and the toll that it takes. And, and to the toll that it takes – because I, I alluded to it before, Sean McVay considered stopping after winning a Super Bowl. Uh, your conversations with them, are you concerned, may, maybe concerned is not the right word, uh, about burnout where these guys who are still really young just saying, you know what, I've done enough, I've had enough, time to do something else, time to do nothing. Are you concerned about that at all? Well, I'd be more concerned if they thought they could do nothing, which I don't believe for a second any any of them could ever sit still long enough to do nothing. Um, but I think it depends on the person. I mean, you, you talk to Kyle Shanahan, and he's very comfortable existing in a space that is truly brutal in terms mm-hmm. of the, the workflow and the lack of work-life balance, but then carving out certain times on the calendar where he totally disappears. I think then then you talk to a, a Sean McVay, who, never, who has always struggled with really having that type of work-life balance to the point where you know, Rams people and officials in the building are trying to force him to car, not force him, but like make him carve out time during the week to just sit, just be man. (laughs) And so um, it's, it's really interesting. It depends on the person. And I think you do see again, very publicly, some of the toll of what burnout can be, but you also see, they always come back to the sport that they are so inherently passionate about. It it pulls them back in, in a way that sometimes is not healthy. And I think Mm. through the course of the series that really um, stands out is you're sitting there wondering, are these guys okay? Like most (laughs) of the time you're listening to this series, which is, uh, which is a fascinating dynamic in my opinion. It is great. I can't wait to uh, continue binging it because I'm going to. Jordan Rodrigue from The Athletic, thank you very much for the time. We don't get a chance to uh, to talk a lot since you're all the way over there uh, on the left coast covering the Rams, and we're here. Uh, but I appreciate it, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. You got it. Jordan Rodrigue from The Athletic. It is a great, great – I mean, I can't say it's a great series because I only listen to episode one. Uh, but it is fascinating, and here's the tease I will leave you with for that. Uh, A local football star, I will leave his name out of it, plays a, I mean, not a major role, 
but plays a significant role in how all of this uh, is kind of connected. And I'll just leave it at that. So when I was looking to transfer, it was um, a lot of one-on-one, and it didn't feel like I got lost in a huge university because I knew that if I came here, there was going to be someone I could talk to about every aspect of the courses I needed to take, but also, too, I loved the smaller classroom sizes, and I liked how interactive and immersive all of the learning was going to be. It wasn't just going to be me sitting in a room with a couple hundred people and a professor who didn't know my name. To find out more about transferring to William Peace University, visit peace.edu.